0: I struggled greatly with needing to find value and friendship. The pandemic really taught me that I'm not a superhero, I'm, I don't have a cape, and I can't do everything.
1: Welcome to you, Pressure Out Loud, a podcast where we take the conversations we have in our heads and share them out loud about the pressure of everyday life. I'm Claire Hanville.
0: And I'm Billy Watts.
1: So, Billy, we are two years away from when everything essentially shut down. And all of a sudden, we were sort of isolated within our our homes and unable to go and do things. And so we had to start communicating through digital means and through technology. And I feel like that's right up your wheelhouse. You got to share all um, all the things. And so I just remember... Being so unsure about what was happening, but then also unsure about what we were using,
0: yeah. So, being somebody who is naturally introverted by default, in my personality, <laughs> um, when they announced that we were going into isolation and we were going into lockdown, I was really excited like, th- this is great! <laughs> like, I don't, I will not have to be on, quote unquote, on for people physically because nobody's allowed. Like you have to socially distance. You have to stay six feet to 10 feet away from people, which again, like I I don't do physical touch. Like that's weird. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So like, okay, great. So we can't, we can't touch. We can't, we have to be distant. We have to wear masks. We have to stay in our homes. We can't go out. So initially that really felt good. (laughs) The idea that great, we're all in lockdown. We're in quarantine. I'm with my my little small, my small group of people, my my wife and my two daughters, they didn't handle the lockdown and the isolation as comfortably as I did. Mm -hmm. It was really natural for me because my whole life has been in an introverted state. Like when I grew up on in Western Prince William County, where there's a bunch of uh, trees and You knew you had neighbors because you would drive past their mailbox on the gravel road and you would see their lights glow through the trees at night, but you never talked to anybody. Mm -hmm. Like There was no go over to the neighbor's house and talk or play with the neighbor's kids. So the pandemic and the social isolation, it really did come very natural to me.
1: How do you feel like people have sort of transitioned as we've come back and how some of our interactions have changed as educators and personally?
0: So I think it's been, that was one of the things that was hard for people. Now, I mean, I don't have close relationships and I'm okay with that. Um, But for other people, they, they weren't. And I think not being able to have those social interactions that they had in the last two years You're just kind of in your own thoughts Mm -hmm. for for a long time. I mean, there's whether you're you're doing classwork or whether you're preparing to teach a class or whether you're working from home, it's just you. I mean, you might have a pet, you might turn on the TV, but it's just you and your thoughts. And you can try to distract yourself. Like I try to distract myself by watching Star Wars because I'd never (laughs) seen it and people always make fun of me of that, but I couldn't get into it. So instead I watched like the whole Marvel universe and I just like watched all of that while I was doing it while I was working and working all these crazy hours, but it was really because I was trying to distract myself from just my own thoughts and being by myself. And I think it's really hard now coming back. How do we interact with people? I think we're seeing that in the students in our schools. I think we're seeing it in our colleagues. The social interactions and the social norms, they're not the same. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not that we've become different people, although I think we probably have, it's that the perception of who you were is gone, right? And I think now we talk, uh, we're okay being ourselves and we're okay being honest with people when we're not putting up as many facades and, and fake personas to our colleagues, to our friends, to our teachers, or any of that.
1: Well, and I think some of being online allowed us that ability, right? I mean,
0: I could just go black, fake to black. <laughs>
1: Right. Um, And but even like talking more through text and through email, you could be a little bit more of yourself. Right. It's the same thing when we get behind the microphones a little bit. Right. And we're just talking to each other right now.
0: There's security in the headphones. It's like if 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 I'm saying it and I have headphones on, no one else can hear me. And there's there's this comfort.
1: I think in that same sense, there's also, it's easier to withdraw a little bit, especially Mm -hmm. when you get stressed. And so um, navigating through sort of needing to recharge yourself, right? I think you and I are both introverts and sort of step away from people to reset. But then also, there's a fine line sometimes between pushing people away in that as well.
0: Maybe it didn't help that I watched all the Marvel Universe movies, (laughs) but my whole life I've kind of had a superhero complex, you know, like I think kids all the time, you know, you have those dreams as a kid. What was a dream you had when you were a little kid? Like little Claire Hanville dreamed one day she was going to what?
1: Be on Broadway.
0: Oh, wow. So little Billy Watts dreamed that he would somehow save the day. Mm. Um, Like my, my, my whole life, like it was just, I would, what career could I have in which I would save people? And so, but in that, complex that you build of trying to save people. Um, you, you don't build us like n- superheroes don't have teams, right? I mean, like they're, <laughs> they're naturally isolated people. And I think in, in some of the movies and some of the comics, like they, they develop a a group of superheroes will band together, but in most times it's one person vanquishing a villain and, and it's their job to save the day. And so for me, um, I struggled greatly with, needing to build, um, needing to find value in a relationship that wasn't my wife and wasn't my daughters, but a value in friendship because I didn't need those people. I didn't need those people Mm -hmm. when I was a kid and I didn't need those people now. And I could still somehow save the day. But the truth is, is the pandemic really taught me that I'm not a superhero. Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't have a cape and I can't do everything.
1: Well, and you and I in our positions in our buildings are the only person in our roles, right? And so sometimes it's easy, I think, for both of us to take on certain tasks because we do operate our positions a little bit in isolation, but then need other people to do that. And I think specifically going out for the pandemic and we had to rely on technology like that, that was you. Like, I think people were depending on you constantly. um, And I can't imagine the pressure that then that felt, whether you let yourself realize that or not at the time. But you could take away people's stress easily, but then Mm -hmm. it mounts up on yourself. And so how do you help other people and support other people without it cracking your own plate?
0: Oh, no, I I think it 100% cracks your plate. (laughs) Um, And there were moments in the last two years where it definitely was overwhelming. And I would break down. Um, You had mentioned in the previous episode, sometimes that when stress is so, so overwhelming, and when there's so much pressure that you just feel that you're sitting on the floor, that mm-hmm. you might start leaking tears. Um, for me, it was just, it, it it builds inside of me. And it's built inside of me since I was a little kid. And so like, it just builds and builds and builds. And then you're like a volcano, and you just erupt. <laughs> and um, But I've always figured out how to Almost retreat and be isolated in that when those moments happen and so I don't know that I handled it well I don't know that I handled all of the mounting stress well Um, I think having a task and being able to fix something every day gave me a purpose but I don't know that I have learned balance coming out of it um, other than I've learned that I will let somebody down every day and handling that, that, that doesn't speak to my identity, mm-hmm. just because I let somebody down, that's made me grow a little bit.
1: We, I think, are let people down all the time and, and being able to process through that. But letting people down then doesn't help us feel like we need the relationships, right? I think mm-hmm. then it's, it's even easier to push people away or say that we're just going to take it on and never sleep and, and do everything um, ourselves. And so when we're sort of operating in that sense, how do you feel like you can still keep building relationships when we're, we're sort of isolated or when we're coming back and then you have to rebuild relationships that you sometimes weren't always the most comfortable with anyway?
0: I think it's just part of accepting a little bit that you've lost something hmm. that, that you've lost You've lost opportunities, you've lost experiences, you've lost people, you've lost relationships. And and that can be devastating for people because their identity has been built around who is with them. And for two years, not being able to choose who's with you and being able to have to be just with your own thoughts and be with yourself, it can be paralyzing. And for a lot of us, we can just be on repeat. I heard somebody describe uh, like the events that are happening in war, that trauma is a story that your brain can't narrate itself out of. Hmm. And you feel that you're just replaying those events over and over again. And we've talked a little bit about our personal stories uh, you shared last week about your father. And so for me, I have a little bit of that and that I have a trauma that anytime I think of it, like just right now, I can't narrate myself out of. Like, it's, you feel that you're reliving that moment. And so when you are in something like the pandemic and you can't, you feel like you're on repeat, it's, it's hard to connect with anybody because I think you're so worried that that person won't be there.
1: Billy, I know that you... Um... take on a lot of other people's tasks. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you like to solve the problem and sometimes you just say like, I've got it, I'm going to handle it.
0: Yeah, all all the time people will try to ask, how are you going to handle it? I was like, "You need (laughs) to understand the process.
1: Just know know
0: that I'm going to somehow save the day and figure it out.
1: When you take things off of people's plates, and we've sort of talked about before that there's a little bit of imbalance, right? People then want to give something back to you. And I imagine um, from somebody who sort of recharges themselves um, without other people, that sometimes that can be difficult, right? Because then um, people are trying to do things for you and you're trying to do things for them. And so how um, do you sort of take some of that on and get through it with this imbalance?
0: Yeah, I don't handle that one. Well. <laughs> I don't handle that well at all. Like when people try to do things for me, that that makes me feel squishy inside, and so mm-hmm. I don't quite understand what's happening. Just, just let me fix it. Just let me save, save the save the world, so to speak, and let me make everything better. And if I can make everything better, then all of it, all of the problems will go away. But I, I don't think that's healthy, right? I, I don't think that's healthy in any way. And so I'm the product of of abuse. Um, but I'm also the product of teenagers having babies. And I think I say that because I'm, I think in my brain, I'm still trying to narrate myself out of, of the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to narrate myself out of why I grew up the way I was. Like maybe if it's because my, my parents were so young when they had me that that's why they made the parenting choices Mm -hmm. they had. But in reality at almost 40 years old now, that's, that's not the truth. Um, I think abuse is one of those like family curses, you know, where it it comes down from generation to generation to generation. And we've all had stories that our parents told us, you know, like they remember when they were kids and they told stories of their grandparent, of <laughs> your grandparents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure my parents told stories like that, but. Like I said, you know, I can't narrate myself out of some of the memories and the stories I remember from my parents was them telling how bad the abuse was for them when they were kids. Mm. Like if they could rationalize what they were doing to myself and to my sister, who's seven years younger than me, then it, because it was better than what their parents had done to them, then it was somehow OK. Right. And so. I struggle with building relationships with people because, and I struggle with two-sided relationships where there's an equal balance on either mm-hmm. side because I never had that really growing up. And so I think my way of surviving was that I didn't need other people. That I, if I could somehow make it through myself alone, then I didn't need other people. Like I remember my earliest memory is is sitting on my mom's lap because I knew if I could take the punches, then the, the, the fight would stop eventually. Right. And I had mentioned before, like sometimes the stress just wells up inside of you like a volcano mental illness with the family curse of abusive behavior and it erupts in rage. And when that eruption happens like a volcano, it can be easily predicted. And so my whole life was predicting when the volcano was going to erupt and then somehow being able to either defuse it or somehow being able to save other people from its wrath. And so in doing that, you don't build relationships with other people. And so when future trauma happens and the way I've recovered from the years of that and I made decisions when I was a teenager that I was going to stop being paralyzed Um, that I was going to stop being paralyzed by my anxiety, stop being paralyzed by my fears, stop being paralyzed by my past. And it's not better, but it's almost like I have a way to make it through. And so when future disasters, so to speak, strike, I jump right into action. I jump right into action because I can save the day. I I can put on my cape and I can fix everything. But in the end, what you're talking about and that you need to recharge... I don't recharge with people. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen in other people coming two years later, is that that can be devastating, that when you are in isolation for so long, and you've taken on so much, and you don't recharge with other people pouring back into you, that it is a very lonely place. And I think we've seen it in our our own children, we've seen it in our colleagues and our students, just the the amount of mental health concerns that have grown out of the pandemic, not that the pandemic caused them, but I think the isolation removed the facade, it removed the fake lives that we were all living in, and it exposed yeah. us raw. And the raw us isn't always the t- kind of people that build friendships and build uh, strong relationships and understanding that with yourself is, is it a, it's a very, very dark place sometimes.
1: Well, going back just a little bit to something that you said is you if you're sort of predicting what is about to happen, yeah. right, so that you can play worst case scenario it, in your mind so that, that's, all the time. That's what I was going to just ask you is it's almost like you're not you can't be present currently mm. in a right. If we talk specifically relationships, being present with that person because you're you're trying to jump ahead to to make it OK, whatever yeah. it is that's going um, through them. And so you're almost like six steps ahead and so I can imagine that that would be difficult but how do you stop that worst case like I feel like you would always be trying to look at the worst case scenario so that you could stop that from happening and I just feel like that would sort of cycle in this negativity in your head which then couldn't be healthy
0: You don't have to solve it like you don't have to fix it you don't have to stop the narration I, I for a long time I tried to control my negative self-talk, my worst case Mm -hmm. scenario. Yeah. It still comes back. Like, like you can, some
1: of that's anxiety, right?
0: You can say all the things to yourself. You can talk positively to yourself. You can go to therapy and talk it out. Yeah. Guess what? When, (laughs) when bad things happen, those worst case scenarios, just they replay. Um, I think the big thing is that you have to stop letting it stop you. Like, it's okay to pause you for a little bit, but it can't stop you from what you're doing. And I see that so many times in in my own children, and I see it with people around me, is that when the stress is too much and the worst-case scenario unravels in their brain and what they thought they were, so to speak, swimming through it, and now they're just underwater completely, they just quit. And you just can't. Like, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that you, you're not gonna be perfect. You, the worst case scenario has truth in it. But if you just move forward, if you just go forward one step today, you'll probably fall on your face because mm-hmm. that's the worst case scenario. But then you'll get up and then you'll move another step forward and you'll probably fall again. But you'll get up and you move another step forward. I think the hardest thing is just not getting up off that floor.
1: I also think that sometimes it's okay to know that you can't solve that problem in that moment and move over to something else, whether it's something that large or something not, um, to be able to get off the floor temporarily, yeah, um, and move to move to something else as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that, that that that's the biggest thing that I see today. Two years later, is that we are living that on repeat. Yeah. When we hear a, a news story come out, we immediately think oh no, we're going back into lockdown. When we hear of a new variant, oh no, we're going to do this. And it's because we've lost something. We've lost loved ones. We've lost opportunities. We've lost shared experiences. And it is this worst case scenario fear that can just cripple you and paralyze you. And so you just stay in that thought pattern of doing it. But you don't need one person or one thing or one vaccine or, or one anything to save you from this. I think it's, it, it is exposed the, the frailty of our little ecosystem that we have mm-hmm. in our, in our minds and that you don't need that. What what I do think you do need is somebody who doesn't do well with relationships. You do need at least one to three people in your lives That you can not stop that self-talk, but you can talk that negative worst-case scenario out loud to them. Because sometimes they'll just cry bullshit. Like, (laughs) that's not true. Like, that worst-case scenario you're playing in your brain, it's not true.
1: Here's the holes.
0: Yeah. Like, they will expose it for you. And sometimes they'll walk alongside you and do it with you. But really, you just need that gut check sometimes. That it's... It's it's not everything you're thinking it's going to be. You have to stop narrating that trauma over and over again in your head. You have to just find what can you control, what can you do today, and do that. And it's okay if it doesn't work out. It's okay if it's not everything you thought it was going to be. If, for me, it's okay that I've let people down.
1: It's really about being in the present and what we can do today because... Mm. Right. We sort of hear it all the time that we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And we literally didn't know what was tomorrow was going to bring two years ago and sort of doing the best we can right now yeah. today, even if it's just small steps forward. It's
0: just small steps forward. I You and I have joked about this in, in the years that you've been director of counseling, um, because I think a lot of times you've wanted to know the whole plan. Yeah. And if you could know all the steps and all the plan, then everything will follow the plan according to what you wrote down in your planner. And then everything will be exactly what you want it to be. And I, I think coming out of our own personal traumas, we know that that's just not true.
1: Right. still hard to deal with sometimes.
0: It It is. It is still very hard to, to deal with. And I think the collective trauma we're all experiencing as a world is that we all had plans. Mm -hmm. We all had goals we were going to reach. And when everything stops and comes to a halt, how do you move forward to that? You can't go back and redo it. Like you can't go back and be like, if I just didn't miss this and I could go back and fix it, then everything will be exactly, it'll be right back on path. It'll be right back on the plan. No. And so we've talked that you just have to move forward. And if you're moving forward with enough trusting your gut, you will fall flat on your face. But when you pick yourself up and look behind you, the people behind you, they're still stuck. And it's not that you have to be better than them, but really what they need is they need you to come alongside them to hear what they're saying and say, let's just try. Let's just try one thing. For for me, I, I fail at least three times. The first two times, I want to quit. I, I want to I wanna go back to little four-year-old me sitting on my mom's lap and hoping that I could just make it stop. If I could just make it stop, if I could just get to bedtime, then everything will be okay. But 39 year old me says, get yourself up off the floor. Like, Stop reliving the past over and over again and just move forward. And I think the best way to move forward and sustain it is to have a small community of people that, that you do, as much as it's hard for me, that you do interact with in person. And there's power in, in communication, there's power in messages and text, and there's power in FaceTime calls, but we've seen that there is anxiety in that as well. And there is something about not being heard and not being understood, whether it comes through a FaceTime or a Zoom or a phone call that doesn't occur in person like you can manage that relationship a little bit better. And that's really what I, I would encourage people to do is that you have to try to find, you have to find your group of people. You have to find your your one to three people that you can have those conversations with out loud. And then you have to recognize that the people that are in your lives, um, you know, there's that that famous poem, you know, people come into your lives for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when in the two years when we've lost relationships, it's hurt us deep. Yeah, it's hurt us deep because we thought we were really close, and then stuff happened, and then we're not as close as we thought, and we take it so personal. But the truth, and this is probably just my compartmentalized, put my emotions in a box and put them <laughs> on a shelf. But I think there's a teeny bit of truth in it. Is that that person was in your life for just a reason or just for this season, but they're not in your life for a lifetime, and it. It it's not a slight on you. It's not about you. It's not about them. It's that circumstances have meant that there's now a new group of people in your life. And the things that I talk to teenagers about and the things I talk to my own personal teenagers about is that who is that, right? Like having a daughter who's getting ready to graduate high school and the mental illness is like a genetic disease yeah. that just gets passed down. And I, it has been the most... Shocking thing to me is that i pretty I thought I did a pretty good job of giving my children a a very secure home to grow up in, but seeing my daughters deal with the same crippling anxiety that I dealt with as a child but didn't have the trauma I had made me realize that sometimes trauma hardwires and changes the brain and and changes the genetic code i think is my guess and You can't fix that, right? There's no superhero that can go back and fix that. But what you can do is you can tell them what you've learned, you can tell them what you've experienced, and you can try to get them to move one step, to not be paralyzed by it, and to recognize the people that come into your lives. And so as a senior who's getting ready to go off to college, she's struggling sometimes to find what's the value in a relationship if we're all going to go away. And I think that was the struggle in these two years. What's the value in a relationship if I'm not going to see them in person? What's the value in a friendship if it's all over Zoom? And you have to recognize that there might be one or two people that's just in your life for just this season. And it's to help repair you, so to speak, or it's to help motivate you or come alongside you to get you to that next spot.
1: Well, and I I agree with what you're saying, and I think that can be a hard thing to realize, um, right? I mean, there's people that you work with that are in your life, and then somebody has a different job, and there's nothing that connects you right. anymore, right? Like that the common conversations. There's no that you're falling having, out.
0: It's just that that yeah. we've we we've reached different places, and that's so hard for people. I think in these two years, the number of divorces that have happened and the number of friendships that have been lost is because. We're seeing the physical circumstance of the world and how it's impacting our relationships. And we're taking it so personal. And that's because as humans, we need to have relationships.
1: But in some ways, I also think it's because we don't have some of the other relationships that we're replacing it. Mm. Some of our outside activities and, and things, I mean, friendships that I may have built through activities that my children were doing. My children are are not involved in those because of the pandemic. And so it's also hard when there's nothing to replace it with. And then we sort of end up in the same place where we're having the self-talk and, and in our heads a little bit um, that we mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah. And it's not your value doesn't have to be in what you do and your value doesn't <laughs> have to be in and what you've accomplished and, and who you've saved or fixed today. Your your value is just, it's in you and it's in the people that you're with. And you don't have to clear your plate every day. You don't have to get to inbox zero every day. You don't have to mark off every checklist every day, but you do have to somehow find that person that you can do it with. That That person at home and that person at work and at school that you can you can do this life with and you have to nurture that relationship. As much as you need them, you talked a little bit about uh, the need for balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the hard thing coming out of trauma is that there is an imbalance in relationship. And when somebody is giving themselves to you to help you to take stuff off your plate, there's this need to give it back. And that's because there's this relationship that's going to grow and you have to respect that and be like, okay, this is the people that's going to be in my lives today. And they might not be the same people tomorrow, but these are the people that are going to be in my lives today or this month. And I'm going to nurture this relationship because it's what I need. So thank you for listening to our stories. Uh, you can follow us um, at Pressure Out Loud. You can share your story by emailing us at podcast at pressureoutloud.com. Subscribe where you listen to this podcast because episodes drop every Thursday.